Well, good morning to everyone. <clears throat> it's good to be here with you at New Life, and um, if you would be turning to John chapter 6, if you have your scriptures, feel free, we'll look at it on the screen as well, but um, I want to focus on a passage that um, is probably one of those topics that's easy for all of us to somewhat uh, sympathize with. It's a topic about food. Uh, food is the real equalizer among all of us, isn't it? Because we all need food. Uh, we all enjoy food. Everyone has opinions about food. And generally, we generally know when food is good and when food is not so good, right? Um, let me give you a, a couple examples so how, how this can come into play. Um, if I say the words Waffle House, you immediately have an idea of what I'm talking about, right? Um, pro or con, I'm not, I'm not going there, I'm just saying, you're, we all know what we're talking about. If I use the words Olive Garden, you immediately think probably garlic, spaghetti, you know, that, lots of different things, carbs come to mind, you know, so, so all of that comes to mind. So we all have our thoughts in regards to those commonalities of food. Well, it's interesting to me, um, something that they've been marketing recently, and I'm just curious to take a poll here this morning, a survey. So this is your interactive part. Um, so raise your hand. If you've had a conversation with either friends or family about the Impossible Burger, raise your hand. Anybody? And y'all are better off than Second Service. Second Service, nobody would raise their hand in there. So yeah, so um, the Impossible Burger is that, that meatless burger. It's a vegan burger, I guess, that's basically... Uh, plant-based, and it's actually come to Burger King, and so they've been marketing it really heavy, and so our family was talking about it. We decided, yeah, let's go try it, so it's the impossible Whopper, I guess, is what it is, and I'll be honest with you. It is a miracle of modern science. <laughs> it tastes just like a regular Whopper, even though it's plant-based, so I don't know. I don't want to know how they make it. I don't know any of that, but it's just amazing if you're, if you're into that kind of thing, so I'm just saying all that because we all have thoughts, opinions, we all have experience with food, and the Bible uses food as a mechanism for communicating spiritual truth. That commonality builds on that because it, it, it does have a hook with everybody. It does have an understanding with everybody. It's that commonality of food. So the Bible oftentimes uses a mechanism to communicate spiritual truth, such as Jesus is called the bread of life. Jesus is called living water. Um, the whole idea of communion, which we'll take in a minute, in a little bit, is the idea of a meal where we're remembering the body and blood of Jesus. But even in the first century, they were doing it as a full-blown meal where there's a lot more to it. In fact, Luke calls it the breaking of bread throughout his gospel in the book of Acts. So there's frequent terminology and imagery there with the idea of food to help us understand the spiritual truths. You know, Jesus even says in Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness kind of understand where the gospel is coming from. So this passage we're looking at today is one where there's actually a meal taking place. Now, it's not your typical meal. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And all of us have probably read this passage. We know the story, basically, where they had a whole group of people and didn't have any food to feed them. And so Jesus is going to perform a miracle. But let's take a look in John chapter 6, starting in verse 3. We'll kind of pick up the action here. So Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw such a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, one of the apostles, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for all of these people. 
Another disciple, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far is that going to go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There are plenty of grass in that place so they could sit down, and about 5,000 men were there. Think about that, 5,000 men. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up, filled the 12 baskets with pieces of the loaves that were left over of those who had eaten. After people saw the sign Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. So we see here a miracle that's taking place with Jesus literally multiplying this food to feed 5,000 people. But what I want us to focus on for a couple of minutes this morning is, is the attitudes of um, Philip and Andrew early on in the, in the circumstance. The idea that Philip and Andrew were their eyewitnesses, and it's kind of two divergent perspectives or, or the focus that they had on in, in, in their minds. And so Philip is the first on the scene, and he's like, he basically is focused on the idea of saying, hey, it would take six months' salary to pay five. If we had to cater this thing, it would take six months' wages. <laughs> There's, I mean, this is impossible. And so immediately, Philip is thinking about what we don't have because they don't have six months' wages. They're not rich. They're not wealthy. They don't have a caterer. So he's just looking at what we don't have. But look at Andrew for a minute because he at least is looking at what we do have. Because Andrew steps up and says, well... We've got this boy's lunch, five loaves, two fishes. Honestly, it's probably five small biscuits and two small fish because it's a boy's lunch pail. And so this small boy brings this. He's probably out there uh, for the day fishing maybe, but this is the lunch that he brought. And so Andrew at least focuses on not what we don't have, but what we do have in this small, meager meal. And that's not going to go a long ways. But here's the point I want us to focus on this morning during our time together, and it's this. A Christian's focus should be on what we have and how can you, God use it. In other words, what can God do with this, with what I have? Because so often we're focused maybe like uh, Philip, what we don't have. I wish I had that. I wish I had this. I, I wish God would, would work in the ways I want him to work with pouring out all these resources. When in reality, <clears throat> oftentimes we just turn over to him what little things we might have. We might be impressed about what God can accomplish with that. And so the focus being for a Christian is what can God do with this? What can God do in this situation with the way he works? Now, a couple of things I want to point out, just observations. Why was there such a big crowd there? Well, the reason there was a big crowd there is because Jesus had been doing so many miracles. If you look in the previous chapters, he was healing people. He was curing the blind. He was allowing people to walk who had been lame. So he's healing people left and right. And guess what's happening? People are being drawn to him because they've heard about this miraculous guy who's doing signs and wonders. So that's why all this big crowd is there to begin with. So isn't it ironic that Philip and Andrew are first like, hmm, I'm not sure what we're going to do. <laughs> when in thinking, here's the guy who's been making it happen all this time. That's why this big crowd's here. That's why we got the problem. But guess what? There's a problem solver in the mix. That's Jesus. And so that's the thing that's to me somewhat ironic in that for them, all they had to do was basically just realize, we can just turn it over to Jesus and let him solve the problem. And so that's exactly, I think, the, the better avenue there is Andrew's in that he's saying, this is what we have, the five loaves and two fish. Now let's think about the boy for just a minute, because how tempted was he to maybe say, well, 
I'm going to step over behind this tree and eat my lunch, <laughs> you know? And maybe nobody will ask, because there's certainly not a lot here. So he's probably uh, one of the heroes, or the more admirable out of this crowd, the small boy, because he says, well, here's my lunch, if you can do something with that. And that's why Andrew steps forward and says, well, this is what we do have. And so the boy, from that perspective, is to be admired in that he's actually offering up what he does have. So in thinking about this, again, the idea is the idea is not to focus on what we don't have, but focus on what we do and then turn it over to God and allow Him to work towards His good or our good and His glory. So that's the key in this, to say, hey, how can God work in this situation? Let me give you an example, a couple examples, actually. So uh, one of the churches that CFR has worked with in the past is a church called Rappahannock Church of Christ over in the northern neck of Virginia. So if you're familiar with Virginia, if you're a Virginia native, you probably know the northern neck is that area of land between the Potomac and the Tappahannock. It's under D.C., kind of to the south. It's across the state from where we are right now. But that area, um, kind of rural area, but there's a church there called the Rappahannock Church of Christ, and they were growing like crazy. They were an old traditional building, and they had outgrown it. And there was an old shopping mall that had shut down and had been on the market forever. And so they decided to buy that shopping mall and convert it into church space. And so CFR was able to come alongside them, partner with them, finance that project. They refurbished it, took about six months of turning it into a really great church building. It's really cool. Imagine having your fellowship hall where the old Chinese buffet used to be. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, it's, it's pretty cool for that. They did it all right and did it well. But here's a cool story that comes out of that. So that when they dedicated that building, I was there for their dedication three years ago. And at their dedication, the very first baptism they had in that church was one of the construction workers on that project. So how neat is that? And the idea that this guy is coming and working on plumbing or electrical or drywall, and yet somebody took up a conversation with him in the church, whether it was a staff or volunteer, and he was coming in and going out for six months working on that. But in that time frame, he got to meet some people and hear about Jesus. How cool is that? His first baptism in that church. So I went back there two weeks ago because I was going back to do my CFR ministry update like I do. And um, I couldn't help but ask the preacher. I said, hey, what happened to the construction worker? And so he said, we standing right over there. He's one of our greeters out front by the door. In fact, I took a picture of him. His name is Jason Duggan. And Jason was in the Navy for eight years. Um, and then he moved up to the Northern Neck, went into construction. And I'd had a chance to talk with... Uh, Jason a good bit. And Jason said, you know, um, I knew I was missing something in my life, but coming into contact with the people at that church helped me realize what I was missing. And in doing that, he said, I became a better person, a better man, a better father. And he said, I realized that made the difference. Isn't that cool? I mean, the idea, and here he is still in there, plugging away, serving God, greeting people, greeting new people <laughs> three years later. And so I think that's a great testimony. Now imagine, this was a guy that was just doing drywall, just doing plumbing, just doing carpentry. What did it take for somebody to step outside their comfort zone and say, hey, can I share with you the love of Christ? Can I talk to you about what, how Christ has made a difference in my life? Can I, can I talk to you about why there's a peace in my life that wasn't there until I found Christ? Or whatever. Maybe it was just a gesture. Maybe it was just kindness. But whatever it did, it made the difference. Now, what was the mindset? The mindset was what, what we don't have. You know, I may not be the great speaker. I may not know all the Bible knowledge. 
It's not what I don't have, but it's on what I do have, an opportunity, and I'm going to see what God can accomplish for our good and His glory. You see how it works? That's how it worked in Jason's life and at Rappahannock. So I think that's a good example of how we can just turn it over to God and say, God, let me see what you can do with this. It's not a lot. It's just five loaves and two fishes, but let's see what God does with it. You know, another seemingly impossible situation, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is 1 Samuel chapter 17, and that's where David is going up against Goliath. But do you remember the story of Goliath, the large giant? And he was coming out there every day and taunting. There was a war going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. And they'd settled into this valley. They were on one mountainside and the Philistines or Israelites were on one, Philistines were on another. But down in the middle, they would come out and Goliath was this huge guy. He was just gargantuan. He'd come out there. They said his spear was actually the same weight and, and length as like a wagon axle. And so he's this huge guy that would come out there and he'd taunt Israel every day. He'd say, aren't you going to send somebody out? And he, he just defied their God, our God. And so where were the Israelites? They were cowering in their tents trying to figure out what they were going to do. And then who shows up? David comes from the fields as a shepherd. He just wants to see what's going on. And he's just a young guy, a young boy, really. And he shows up and he says, well, I'll go out there and fight him. And I'm sure they, scoff, they did scoff at him at first, but then they tried to put armor on him. He said, that's not what I need. And he went out there with just a slingshot and a few smooth stones. And he went out there and he set, stood before Goliath. And Goliath was incensed that they would send this boy out there. And he said, you send me a dog out here to fight. And he said, I, you know, just taunted him and taunted God. And David stood up and said those famous words that just ring through the ages. David stood up and said, know for a fact that this day God is going to give you over into our hands. And it will not be by sword or spear, but it's going to be the power of the living God so that everyone will know forever and ever that there is a God and He is Jehovah. And that's what David does. And, and you know the rest of the story. He, he puts that small stone in that slingshot and gets it going and bam, hits Goliath right between the eyes and knocks him dead. And so they conquered that day, but think about it. He just took what he had, five loaves and two fishes, handful of stones, a little bit of courage, a lot of faith, going out there and saying, I'm not sure how God's going to do it, but let's see how God's going to do it. In fact, it's not by me, it's not by sword, it's not by spear, but it's going to be by God's power. That's faith, and that's the right kind of focus of actually saying, hey, I'm not sure how, but I'm going to let God work this out. What can God do in this situation? What can God do with five loaves and two fishes? You know, there's another story I think about when I was at, um, I was on staff at Mid-Atlantic Christian University in North Carolina for several years, and I was their development officer, so I, I helped do fundraising. And so one of the things I did was we were building a building, and we were going to raise a million and a half dollars, and those dollars were going for that building. Well, we decided we were going to raise 10%, 150000 from the local community. And so went around to businesses, hat in hand, asking for contributions to build it. Well, some of you know the department store Belks. Belks... I interacted with, and they decided we're going to give $10,000 to that project. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. So I remember the day when I went to go pick up the check. And I showed up, and there were a couple of police cars out on the curb at Belk's there locally. And I went in, the secretary for the manager said, hey, he's tied up. He'll be with you shortly. So I sat there waiting, just kind of wondering what all was going on. He comes and brings me this envelope with a check for $10,000. And he says, hey, I'm sorry. I was tied up because we had a shoplifter who was trying to steal a $40 shirt. 
And I thought about the irony of all that, where here's a guy just living for self, wanting to steal from Belks, and here am I, really uh, equal standing, but God has somehow channeled this $10,000 to a Christian ministry that I'm working with. And I'm just thinking, I'm walking out with $10,000 for that ministry, and this guy, because he wasn't focused the right way on self, see what he's got. And I just think about the irony of that situation and how oftentimes if we'll just allow God to work through a situation and turn it over to Him, how we might be surprised at how God really comes in, into play. There's another passage in Luke chapter 12 talks about the rich farmer. Most of us know this story, but it's about the rich farmer that Jesus tells. And remember, he was rich. He had all that he needed, had more than he needed. And he has this bountiful harvest one year, remember? And so he has all this harvest, but what does he say? Well, my barns are full, so what I'll do is tear down my barns and build bigger barns. <laughs> and I'll store more stuff. Sidelight here, do you know Americans have more storage space than anybody else in the United States? You know, the storage units that we all rent and things like that. In fact, I, I did some research for a sermon I preached a few months ago on a topic about just materialism, things like that. But we, there are more storage units in the United States, get this fact, more storage units in the United States than there are Starbucks and McDonald's combined. That's a lot of storage, folks. And it's interesting to me that it's kind of that concept of more is better, I guess. You know, and even when it's stored and I don't see it but once a year kind of thing. And so I think from this perspective in this passage in Luke chapter 12, that was his mindset. More is better. And more, more of everything is better. And so he was going to tear down his barns, build them bigger, so he could store more stuff. And he even says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus gives a rare condemnation. It's rare that Jesus would condemn someone, but this is a passage where he actually condemns him. He says, he, he says his life was demanded of him that very night. He died in the middle of the night. He never got to enjoy all that. And it's interesting to me that Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And so I think about that from the standpoint that are we thinking about what I have or am I thinking about what God's entrusted to me that I can use for His glory, that I can use for His will? And that's an important question that all of us ought to ask ourselves because the Bible's clear. We're going to be held account with what God's put in our, put in our possession. Not only material things, but our talents, our time, our wealth. Are we using it as God would want it to be used? You know, Kind of as we wrap things up, one, one, I think, how do we apply this? So one of them, I think, is applying it by stewardship. Whatever God's given me, He's entrusted it to me for just a short time. And however long I live and I have these talents or this time or these possessions or this wealth, I need to be asking, how can I best use it as God would intend? And that's the idea of, again, my focus should be is what can God do with this? Not what I can or what I don't have, but what can God do with what I do have? That's what the boy with the five loaves and two fishes did. But secondly, in the area of evangelism, how many times do we pass somebody like Jason every day and we don't take the time to stop and share the grace of Christ with them like someone did with us? Let's not be stingy with the grace that's been given to us. I mean, we've sung songs today about uh, he's been chasing me with that goodness all my days. And the idea... What about those people who are outside of Christ that are around us that we pass every day? Somebody like Jason that we might try to maybe even look through if we're not careful. 
But take the time to look and see somebody God loves and needs the grace of Christ. I mean, take the time. And I know it's difficult. Sometimes you might get out of your comfort zone. But it's the idea, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to turn it over to God and see what he can accomplish. That's exactly what happened with Jason. So, you know, and I, I want to, I want to, the last application I'll give in a room like this, there's probably a few people here today who are in an impossible situation, a seemingly impossible situation, where you've gone through a season of life, you're in front of a brick wall, or you can't get through it, you don't know how God's working through the situation. And friends, I want to tell you that this applies to that as well. That if you'll remain faithful and turn it over to God, let's see what he can accomplish. Let's see how he can knock some of those bricks out of that wall. But again, the idea is to be faithful and say, hey, I don't have the answers. You don't have to have the answers. Jesus doesn't ask you to have the answers. All he says is, commit it to me, and let's see how God can work to your good and his glory in this situation. I've seen many circumstances in 30 years of ministry. I've seen many, many instances where everybody said, there's no hope here. Not sure how we're going to solve this problem. And yet God got right through to the middle of it and solved it before we realized it. And friends, I'm just saying God specializes in the impossible. It's up to us. We may not, he may not do it on our terms or our time frame or even in the way we thought. But God is able and frequently doing things for your good and his glory. Ask the boy who had the five loaves and two fishes. So I want to close with one last story. So several years ago, my family and I had to decide we were going to get a pet. And so we decided what to do. We were going to, I'm a dog person, so we got a dog. All right? So we got a dog. And I'll be honest with you, uh, my son, who was at time seven, um, we weren't sure what kind of dog. I wanted something really big and strong and masculine, you know, something that people would be scared of and that kind of thing. So we ended up getting a Yorkie poo, <laughs> which was not what I was at the top of my list. So... But I'm, I'm secure in my masculinity enough to walk a Yorkie poo, okay? I'm, I'm okay with that. So. But, I mean, it is something that wasn't my ideal. So we got Jack the Yorkie poo. We named him Jack. And so um, Jack the Yorkie poo has a habit, though, that's really frustrating. So whenever you give Jack a treat in our home, he immediately starts whining. And he whines and whines this incessant whining that just drives you nuts. And his, his fear is that you're either going to take it away or he's going to lose it or somebody's going to steal it. So he's got it clamped on his mouth, you know, just like he's not going to lose it. And he's starting to look for a place to hide it. And so he goes all over the house trying to find a place to hide it. And he finds a corner. He'll go over in a corner, nudge it with his nose in this corner. But if he catches you spying on him and he catches you out of the corner of his eye that he saw where you put it, it starts all over again. <laughs> and he starts whining again. Got to find another spot where nobody will find it. Now, here's the irony of that. Who gave him the treat? I did. And we got plenty more treats. That's not the issue. He's just afraid of losing it. And I keep thinking, wow, don't you realize that we love you, we care for you, we're, we only have your good at heart, and we're the ones that gave it to you. So don't worry about losing it or us taking it from you. And friends, sometimes I wonder if that's not God's perspective about us. That what we have, we're clamped onto it so tightly that we're afraid and anxious about losing it that we don't realize what God's got in store for us if we would just turn it over to Him and let go. Whether it's a problem or whether it's wealth, possessions, time, talent, 
we just let it go and say, God, use it for your glory. Like the boy with the five loaves and two fishes. So here's the moral of the story. Don't be like Jack the Yorkie Poo. Let it go. Let God use it for your good and his glory. And you'll probably be amazed at what he can do. If you've never made a decision to accept Christ as your Savior, I, make, I, I recommend and, and really suggest you make that decision today. No better decision you can make. Applying His grace to your life in a way that turns it over to Him, ultimately. You've got a decision to come. Why don't you come today?